welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we wouldn't want you to catch cold. I'm Carrie. I'm Roz. And this week, we are covering the 2011, oh God, what did we call this, a thriller? <laughs> Contagion. Guys, the world, the world. <sighs> Guys, listen, so much bad crap has happened in the last year, and we literally lived this movie. We are talking about a film that humanity actually lived. It's it's a little too close to home, folks. It's very it's spooky parallel. So like I'm just gonna say right up front, if y'all wanna skip this week's episode, I'm not gonna hate you for it. Yes, <laughs> the clicker. No one would blame you. Like literally the point of movies is escapism, and this week we're not getting so much of that. Uh no, no, not at all. Guys, uh obviously, uh, like four days ago, it was the uh one year anniversary of the pandemic being declared by the World Health Organization, who we deal with in this film yes, a lot. Yes, we do, yes. <laughs> and um, yeah, guys, it, it might be a little heavy. So we understand if you're skipping this week. It's just, uh, I wanted to talk about this last year. Carrie said no, I for said, very good reasons. Like that just, that audio had such potential to age poorly. It was inappropriate at the time. So after a whole year, human beings are just like, oh my God, what? And I feel like this film has helped me process a little bit. The fact that they do so much better in three weeks than we have done in 12 months. I just... Look me in the eye with both eyes. Okay. It is a movie. I'm aware. I'm aware. Can, you thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for leveling me. You have to remember that. It is a movie. Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, practice the three R's, rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. We want everyone to be able to join our little watch party. Okay, I'm going to get my hazmat suit on <laughs> and start dissociating. I'm triple masking. I'm washing my hands like the devil. I I'm... already hate you for this. I know. I oh know. Oh my God. Let's get to it. It was a groundbreaking ceremony for a new factory. Did you mention seeing anyone who was sick? Anyone on a plane at the airport? No. She said she was jet lagged. The average person touches their face three to five times every waking minute. In between, we're touching doorknobs, water fountains, and each other. Matt. Mom? No, no, uh, uh, go up to your room, honey. So we have a virus with no treatment protocol and no vaccine at this time. You had a seizure this morning, Beth. She had a history of seizures? No, no, no. Allergies? As of last night, there were 32 cases. Unfortunately, she did die. Can I go talk to her? Mr. Armoff, your wife is dead. What are you talking about? What happened to her? What happened to her? Is there any way someone could weaponize the bird flu? Is that what we're looking at? Someone doesn't have to weaponize the bird flu. The birds are doing that. Watch this. It's transmission, so we just need to know which direction. On day one, there were two people, and then four, and then 16. In three months, it's a billion. That's where we're headed. They're calling out the National Guard. They're moving the president underground. People will panic. Get away! It will tip over. The truth is being kept from the world. Cook your samples, destroy everything.
like I said, love me a Soderbergh film. He's done Aaron Brockovich. He's done the Oceans trilogy and the like the entire franchise, like Oceans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. <laughs> no. You're right. You're right. There's not that many. He's got Oscars. He's got hella money. He loves doing crime thrillers, heist thrillers. Like, he's that kind of filmmaker. This is very unique. I think he, they did something very different. I think he's just an anxiety whore. You well, think? Like, everything where, like, the stakes are super high and the anxiety is super high. Like, Soderbergh's all over this. Written by Scott Burns. Scott Burns was just, I guess, fascinated with the idea of transmission. And he wanted to do some sort of project about how this happens. Because he consulted with a guy named Larry Brilliant. Not even kidding. (laughs) Oh, wow. Larry Brilliant was instrumental in helping to eradicate smallpox. Basically, he got together with Soderbergh and they were like, we're going to do a movie about how an epidemic pandemic situation would play out in reality. Oh, boy. Because, you know, in the 70s, you're dealing with like H1N1. In in the 80s, it's AIDS. Like, we'd been dealing with epidemics for a long time. You think we would have been better prepared? Yeah, well. And Larry Brilliant and everyone he consulted with said, this is not a matter of, this is not a matter of how, it's a matter of when. Yeah, it's really scary science. I understand why people don't want to pay attention to this. Because if you do even for five minutes, it's horrifying. Yeah. And, like, we are running this world in a way that has real, actual consequences that cause these things. No, like, it's it's too palpable. It's, it's 100% too palpable. It's too... Real. Like, it just, I cannot believe Scott Burns was interviewed about this recently, like last year. And the interviewer was basically like, So, like, um, how do you feel that your movie happened? Like, the thing you wrote has legitimately happened. Uh, and he's like, It's just sad. It's just incredibly sad. The, you know, that was 10 years ago. And this research has been done for over 50 years, uh, over 70. Like, so awful. I mean, th- think about 100 years ago, we went through this. I know, and now we're doing it again. Yay! Humanity's greatest hits over here. Oh my god. So, yeah, guys, I know the world's a little bleak, but I think we're going to try and have a meaningful conversation about this project, so... We're just a couple of weird people who process our feelings through movies. Uh-huh. Like, it's, I just, I, I kind of hate that about us sometimes, because... It makes us annoying. <laughs> yeah, it makes us really annoying. <laughs> Fun and annoying. <laughs> Guys, you know I love me a film soundtrack. <laughs> you are Gaga for this film soundtrack. I am. It's it's like it is a perfect soundtrack for this film. Cliff Martinez, shout out to you. Sometimes I listen to this shit in my car to like have a little bit of an existential episode. <laughs> <laughs> it just right, you know what I mean? It makes me so anxious. Like, like I how know. do you Oh my god. I know, and I'm sorry. I shouldn't be fantasizing. <laughs> I shouldn't be romanticizing a trigger, but like, I don't know. It makes me feel things. Like that the, the, I'm saying this movie is entirely too effective. 60 million dollar budget. They doubled it and then some. Yeah. With a 75 million dollar profit. It is a pretty okay movie. Like I that's the thing. We've got so much talent in this movie. I know. And it's spread so thin. Like, nobody really gets to shine too much the way they would normally. Exactly. And so, like, we've got a lot of names drawing everyone to this movie. I think they just wanted to get large swaths of people to come see this. Exactly. 
exactly. That that definitely had to be the draw because like you know the thing about all star casts is like sometimes there can just be a little something in it for everybody. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then the thing is, is that this I won't call this movie educational because I'm not. I'm I'm just not gonna. <laughs> I don't know whether to tell that's right or wrong. <laughs> but, like, seriously, the people who watch this movie who are familiar with epidemiological medicine and that sort of science, they're like, this movie's not far off. Especially especially when it comes to the information about how the disease actually spreads. Yeah. The information about touching our faces. They and- did the fair share of research and then some in the course of writing this film. They worked with the World Health Organization. They worked with the CDC here in the United States. Kate Winslet went and shadowed a CDC epidemiologist for like a month or something. Yeah, like they really did put in the work. Guys, in his second kicking and streaming appearance, please welcome back Mr. Matt Damon. Hi, Matt. He was with us in our first episode of the year when we did Adjustment Bureau. You also know him from things like Talented Mr. Ripley, The Bourne Legacy, like all that good stuff. He's in those Oceans films. Yeah. He's a Soderbergh whore. (laughs) Oh, my God. Soderbergh really likes Matt Damon. We have Marion Cotillard. (laughs) Marion Cotillard. Cotillard. Oh my God, we're so Midwest. We, ha- we, uh, ha- we so we have Marion Cotillard in her second kicking and streaming appearance. She was with us at the beginning of the month when we did Big Fish. Oh God, that movie. We have Lawrence Fishburne. Oh my God, Larry. We know Lawrence for he's he's Morpheus, guys. He's Morpheus from the Matrix. <laughs> yes. He, he's also in Boys in the Hood. He's in the John Wick films. Oh my God, he's in Event Horizon. He is. That's. Stuff is out of control. I, I like him, I like baby Lawrence Fishburne in the color purple. Yeah. Where like he I don't think he has any lines, but he's there and I'm like, ah yeah, Lawrence Fishburne's here. Please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, Mr. Jude Law. He was with us in the holiday. Yes. Um, you'll know him from things like <laughs> Fantastic beasts and where to find them. Uh, I hate that crap. I hate it so much. He's Dr. Watson in the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. I love those movies. I, 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 they're a good pair. They're, they're, they're a good Sherlock and Watson. I personally love his performance as Lemony Snicket in Lemony Snicket's A Series ah! of Unfortunate Events. Yes. Where he's literally just a silhouette the whole time. Please welcome back in her second kicking and streaming appearance. Ms. Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, you may not remember, but she is in Hook. Yes. <laughs> yes, she is. She, she is a young Moira Darling in uh, Hook. She's also in other bullshit like Shakespeare in Love. She's uh, What else is she in? She's in a scam, a snake oil scam known as Goop. <laughs> yeah, what's with the Goop, guys? Pause right now and Google Goop Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh. It'll blow your mind. My God. I'm going to pick on her today. I'm going to be rather undiplomatic today. (laughs) I'm just letting you all know up front. This marketing empire she has is just not. Nah. Just look it up. Just look it up. I don't have the time or the energy. We have Ms. Kate Winslet. Oh, your wife is here. My wife. She was here with us when we did the holiday. She was, of course, here when we did Titanic. I mean- Come on. I love those episodes. Uh, Folks, please welcome to Kicking and Streaming in his very first appearance, Mr. Brian Cranston. I love Brian Cranston. Walter White is here, guys. I love that show so much. From AMC's Breaking Bad. He's also the dad on Malcolm in the Middle. Like, let's not forget. Never forget. Let's never forget the the, the, the trauma. (laughs) Oh, my God. That that family. Anyway. In her second kicking and streaming appearance, Miss Jennifer Ella. 
Oh, yeah. She was in the Adjustment Bureau with Matt Damon, and she had no lines. She was like an under five. These movies came out the same year. <laughs> Adjustment Bureau and Contagion. Who knows? Maybe they got to know each other. I, but, like, she has such a pivotal role in this movie. Like <laughs> She's the hero she's, of this she's, movie. Yeah, she's kind of the hero of the movie. And I'm like, huh? We have... Mr. Elliot Gould with us. Aw, Elliot. I mean, you know him, you don't know him from MASH because you're not 70 years old. (laughs) But he was in MASH, uh, American History X, Bugsy, like... His, his his he was married to Barbara Streisand for like eight years in the sixties. Oh, he's uh he's a voice in the Secret of Nim. Uh huh. He's that crow. Oh, I love that movie. You do like Secret. You've always liked Secret of Nim. We have Chin Han. Um, he is mostly notable in Singapore, but he's a Singapore American and works with American films sometimes. He was in The Dark Knight. He was in 2012. I remember him in Dark Knight. He's yes. Com- he's Commander Jiang in Independence Day Resurgence. <laughs> What is with the attitude and the bad pronunciation? Don't ask questions you know the answer to. You know how I feel about that film. We have Mr. Enrico Colatoni here with us today. Oh my god, I didn't, I, I literally didn't know his name before today, because in my brain he's always Mathazar. Yeah, guys. Commander. Excuse me. I must speak to you. It is a matter of supreme importance. We are Thermians from the Klaatu Nebula, and we need your help. I did not think this would be his first kicking and streaming appearance. I thought we'd get him in Galaxy Quest before we ever did this movie. We need our help. I can't wait to do Galaxy Quest. I we, know! We've got to do it this year. We've got to, we've got to pick a time and we've got to do it. Okay, guys, trigger warning for pandemic. Yeah, like, it's just just generic trigger warning. This movie has happened now. And so the, today's episode is, could just be really triggering in a lot of ways. So if you'd rather skip it, we're going to say one more time, it's cool to cut out. We'll see you next Next week, yeah, we're going to be doing a historical piece next week, <laughs> so it, it'll be it'll be a fun time. This is a lot. If oh you're deciding God. to listen, good for you. Thank you so much. We like it when our content's consumed, but you're going to be here for a minute if you plan on listening to the whole thing. Just for a minute, and I mean, hey, maybe you want to skip the whole discussion of the movie and skip to the end where we talk about how enraged we get. Yeah, if you want to just if you want to just hear us like vent like go to the end but like we're gonna talk about the plot as quickly as i can as promise me promise you all right i'm gonna drop a time code for when the end is okay all right see you guys at the end (laughs) all right y'all day two yeah this timeline doesn't start on day one of the virus yeah it's gonna save it to the end i guess (laughs) i love how it's kind of like independence day you know like july 1st yeah july 2nd (laughs) Yes. Day one, day two. Here we have a sweaty Beth Emhoff. Oh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, she's uh, she she doesn't look she doesn't look she's feeling so hot. No, she looks ill. She looks very very ill, and uh, she's sweaty, and she looks warm, and she's sitting in an airport. We'd love to see it. Oh, I hate it. No, I hate it so much. <coughs> <coughs> I think we watched this together and you went, wow, that Labrador looks sick. Oh, no. Yeah. I, listen, I, I instantly felt bad about that as soon as I said it, but I get to make fun of her. She's a snake oil salesman. <laughs> like, I just, I will never get over that. That is the most ridiculous crap I've ever seen. Like, the moment she stops selling candles that smell like her lady parts, like, I'll be a little easier on her. 
Ms. Amhoff is uh, on a layover in Chicago trying to go back to Minneapolis where she lives. She's just been back from Hong Kong where she was working on a groundbreaking project for her company, A-I-M-M Alderson. I'm just going to call them Alderson. Are they a development company? Or something, because they they are building a new plant near Macau. They're causing all this deforestation, and she is the project coordinator on it. I hate it. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God! Can we? I'm just gonna. I'm also. We're 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 trying to do this thing where we combine notes so we can flow the conversation a little more seamlessly. And like, I get to see Ross's notes, and I, I write mine in as well. And Ross's notes just read like they were written by a civil servant. I I, I don't want to tell stories on you, but allow me to tell stories on you. Carrie Ann. And I quote: She receives a call from John Neal, which appears to please her. <laughs> Who Who informs her that he enjoyed their sexual congress earlier in the day? No! And that they should they wish to partake in it again, she must use the secure email he provided her. He inquires if she is feeling well due to intermittent cough, but she insists she is simply jet lagged despite looking sweaty and sickly. I'm literally a civil servant. I work for unemployment. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm a clerk, okay? I'm sorry. It's so, it's so bureaucratic. Anyway, she hangs up with John Neal, who she's obviously fucking. Yeah, and here's the thing, folks. She is married. Like, you can see that ring on her finger, right? Ugh. Like, come on. She's married to Matt Damon. We'll find that out here in a minute. So she hangs up with him. She gives the bartender her credit card. And then we follow the bartender to the touchpad. Oh, processor. So, so many surfaces. I know, I know. We'll get into fomites later. This is the beginning of me paying extra attention to how much everyone is touching their face. Guys, I did an experiment. Yes, she did. While we were watching this movie, probably 15 minutes into the movie, I started making marks, tally marks, to count how many times I touched my face. And by the end of the movie, I touched my face 35 times. And that's knowing what I was doing. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Trying not to touch my face face but then i would do it not thinking and it's just it was incredible this is how disease spreads guys we move very quickly all over the globe here try and stay with us i'm gonna try and stay organized we get a rundown of all the other people who have obviously been infected with the virus so we go to kowloon that's back in hong kong population 2.1 million yikes So we have this commuter on a crowded ferry. He's coming back from his job in Macau to Hong Kong across the China Sea, the South China Sea. This is Lee Fi. Yeah. He's um, not well either. Yeah. He's uh, sweaty. He's stumbling around. He's going back to the Chrysanthemum Complex, which is a very notable living space in uh, Kowloon. It's very large. Like, the building, it's pro- it's one of the largest apartment complexes in the world. He lives with his sister, right? Mm-hmm. I, we don't get her name, but, like, I just, in my notes, Levi's sister. Cut to London, England. Population 8.6 million. So we have this Ukrainian model. She doesn't look well. She's sweaty. I love how some of these roles are just uncredited. Yeah, because they're just here for a blip. Exactly. And she's going to leave her shoe early because she's not feeling well. 
you know, she goes back to her hotel and the hotel staff discover her dead on her bathroom floor. Oh, it happens so suddenly. That's the thing. This movie throws so much at you. Like, it gets in these little micro flashes, uh-huh. these punches of real emotion. Like, people are there one moment and then they're dead. The cinematography and editing is really good, like, the way they cut this together. When they find her on the floor, she's foaming at the mouth and she's got, like, vascular discoloration. Oh, it's awful. Like, she's black and white. Cut to Minneapolis, population 3.3 million. Beth Emhoff is coming back from the airport to her husband, Mitch Emhoff, Mr. Matt Damon. And uh, they've got an eight-year-old son named Clark. Oh, Clark. Clark is actually Beth's son. Mitch is just the stepdad. Oh, I didn't realize they were blended like that. Yeah. God, she's married to Matt Damon and she doesn't even deserve him. Put a pin in that. Oh, I hate it. Cut to Tokyo, Japan. Population 36.6 million. In Tokyo? In Tokyo. Oh my God. So this other Alderson executive who works with Gwyneth Paltrow, with Beth Emhoff, and he's returning from Hong Kong to Tokyo from the groundbreaking project, and he don't look well either. Like he's drinking his water, he's on this crowded bus, and he's just, he's melting. He's positively melting. It's awful. And then he falls on the ground and we see these passengers start to panic and they're like filming him. Like something, we don't see what's happening to him, but it must be rough. Back in Hong Kong, we see Lee Fai. He leaves his apartment. His sister's fussing with him. This part is so unnecessary. He's like wandering the streets and like he his vision's impaired. He can't see straight. He's sweating like the ocean. Guys, you might want to sit down. He's just losing his constitutions. This is so rough. And he's so out of it that he wanders into traffic uh, and a truck hits him, killing him. That, that was so unnecessary. But like... Like, I did not need to see that young man be creamed by that truck. It's a great demonstration of what this virus is doing to your body, though. Oh my God. But like, why that's, did I have to actually see it happen? That's the thing about the virus they've created for this movie is that... It does a bunch of different things to you. Like, it's getting your lungs and your brain. So now we're on day three. We have uh, Dr. Ellis Cheever, who is entering the Centers for Disease Control headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. This is Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, yeah, we love Larry. So he encounters a custodian named Roger on his way in from the parking garage. Hey, uh, you got a second? Sure. I got a medical question. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my, my kid's been uh, having, having problems at school, uh, attention deficit thing. ADHD? Yeah. He's been diagnosed yet? Well, that, that's the thing. They wanted to see someone. I was wondering if you could take a look at I'm not really that kind of doctor. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't know. I, I just thought maybe. Maybe I can refer someone, though. Yeah. Yeah. Ellis is the kind of guy that you would hope would be a high-ranking official at the CDC. The thing about Ellis that I just... I, he's supposed to be a very high-ranking medical professional at the CDC, but, like, there's a bunch of shit he doesn't know. And I understand that we need that for the narrative, yeah. but, like, you know, so that we can be educated as an audience. You're just unclear on what his level of clearance is. Exactly. I feel like he's just like, hey, you're a doctor. We're going to put you in this administrative role, and, like, that's it. Yeah. Like, I don't know if he... He's not the director of the CDC, but, like, he's up there. We cut to San Francisco. Population, 3.5 million. San Fran. So, there is... We have to talk about it. It's my least favorite part of the movie, but we're going to have to talk about it. God. So there's this freelance journalist working in San Francisco. Alex Cumweirdo? 
No. <laughs> His name is Alan Crumweedy. <laughs> That's K-R-U-M-W-I-E-D. Jude Law and his unnecessary flipper are here. And his unnecessary Australian accent. Oh my god, he has a set of false teeth in! Or why couldn't he just do an American accent? I don't know! Too British, I guess. There have been outbreaks in the past. Fishing industry suppresses it. Industrial disease? Yeah, but it's just one man. We don't even know Just what one happened. man on video. Not everyone has the foresight to die in front of a camera. The ones we don't see worry me. Alan Crumweedy is crazy. He's a conspiracy theorist. He has a blog called Truth Serum Now. Oh no, yeah, it is straight out of the red pill corner of the internet. Yeah, <laughs> the red pill corner. Like, it is just, I, I hate this guy. And like, Jude Law, Jude Law did a good job. He did a really good job. He really did. Of making me hate this guy's guts. He's showing his friend and colleague Lorraine Vasquez a video that he found and put on his blog, and it's of the Japanese executive on that bus in Tokyo. Yeah. And he's foaming at the mouth, he's spitting shit up, he's having a seizure. Alan Crumweedy has this theory that there's this cover-up in Japan of this video. They've, he thinks the Japanese government might be trying to keep some sort of poisoning away from the Japanese public. Mercury poisoning or mercury in There's the, something they're not telling us! In the fish. Yeah, like, it's just like, <laughs> could that happen? Yes. Has it happened? Probably. But, like... Not in this situation! Not, not here, Alan. Not here. He's like, I want you to let me write about this. And Lorraine's like, listen, Alan, I've got no freelance budget and uh, we just we just don't have the space. Print media is definitely dying a slow, agonizing death, but I know for a fact it's not worth subscribing to the ideology of bloggers in order to get clicks. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes, like, indeed. What the hell? I just love how he's like, you're gonna give me my story? You're gonna give me my story, aren't you? And she's like, Alan, I'm trying to do you a favor. And he pulls he pulls a wire out of his shirt and he's like, Alan, I'm trying to help you. It's just one man on a bus. I take this meeting. We need more information than that. This story runs in the Chronicle. I will sue your ass. Great. Okay. Bye, Alan. Don't call me anymore. Print media is dying, Lorraine. And I love her so much. She's like, bye, Alan. Don't call me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, I bet she's so she's sick of so him. She's so I bet they went to college or something, and she's just really tired of him. She's sick of it. <laughs> I'm sick of it. Back in Minneapolis, Mitch arrives at Mondale Elementary School. He's picking up. Clark at school because he's sick. Oh, oh God. <laughs> I hate it. The school nurse tells Mitch that Clark's temperature is just a little over 100. First his mom and now the mighty Clark. <laughs> All right, let's go get some soup for you and mom. Hope you feel better, Clark, okay? Okay. Thank you. Attaboy. We're going to beat this thing down by turkey day. So we're in November. And I have in all capital letters, oh, God, no, the kid is sick. No. <laughs> right at the beginning of winter. Oh, fuck. I, I just, I remember looking at you and being like, I cannot remember if the kid lives or not. Yeah, yeah. And, and guys, it's not good news. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, continue. Day four. So we're in the Emhoff residence. Guys, trigger warning. It's about to get rough. Even more rough, yeah. Like, this this scene is a little visceral, and it makes me very uncomfy when I watch it. Beth is out of it. Like, her vision is impaired. She's trying to pick up her cup of coffee in the morning, and she can't seem to make her arm do it. She drops the cup on the floor. Mitch sits her down, and then she begins to have a seizure. Oh, like, it's rough. a violent, convulsive seizure. Hey, honey? Oh, Beth, Beth. Hey. 
Beth, Jesus, Jesus. Sweet, sweetheart, sweetheart. Hey, Beth. Mom? Hi, no, 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 uh, uh, stay there, Clark. No, no, just go, go up to your room, honey. Uh, and she's foaming at the mouth and the kids watching it happen and Mitch is like wigged. They take her to the hospital quickly. She suffers another seizure while they're trying to get her rigged up and treated. And then we just cut to the doctor telling Mitch that she died. Oh, God. He doesn't immediately hear the doc. And I could not feel worse for him. Unfortunately, she did die. Right. I'm sorry, Mr. Hamal. I know this is hard to accept. Okay. Can I go talk to her? Mr. Hamal, I'm sorry. Your wife is dead. Like, he didn't even hear it. I know, I know. It's the, oh, it's the worst. And this is not uncommon. I think about our mother all the time and how many people she's had to tell that their loved ones have passed away. And we just, we don't value healthcare workers in this country. Like, not enough. No, you're right. And I get it. He's obviously upset. Yeah. His spouse is dead. This was very, very sudden. He's like, what do you mean? I was just talking to her. This is deep shock. All right, you got to get through this next part. I I have to dissociate. This is sad. He's on his way home. And the babysitter, Carrie Ann. Stop it. I'm trying to dissociate. (laughs) The babysitter is Carrie's name. No, stop. His babysitter, Carrie Ann, calls him and says that Clark is not breathing. He runs into his house, goes up, and his son is dead. It's awful. In bed. It's awful. Again, why do I have to see it? Like with dry foam about his mouth and with severe discoloration. Stop. Sorry. I know. It's just, it's so. It's really awful. Like you just lost your spouse and now one of your stepchildren is dead. This is just soup. Like What a fucking day. It is super duper sad because the movie thing to do would be to have him lose his wife and then like spend the rest of the movie like feverishly looking for a cure and prevent the loss of his son, right? But nope, ding dong, they're both dead. Like right there at the beginning. And it sucks. Day five. We're in Geneva, Switzerland, the headquarters of the World Health Organization. We have Dr. Lanara Arantes. Marion Cotillard. <laughs> hello. You wrote, hello, ma'am. <laughs> I love her. I, I do like her. This like, movie is full of brilliant women. She is an epidemiologist. A very, very good one. She is. She's here to help them trace where this virus came from. She is here to meet with Damien Leopold, who is a high-ranking WHO official. He reports that the Chinese government has determined that a potent viral outbreak has been contained in the chrysanthemum complex in Hong Kong, where Li Fai lived. Remember Li Fai, who met the really horrible end? Yeah. I mean, they're all horrible ends, but 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 that one's especially horrible. I think you could argue that the virus didn't really kill Li Fai. Well, yeah, the truck did. It was about to. It was still horrible. Yeah. Leopold is reporting to Arantis that the same protocols that they established for the SARS epidemic in like 2002, 2003 are being utilized at the chrysanthemum complex. Dr. Arantis reports that Kowloon is the most densely populated area in the world and Hong Kong is a harbor. It's going to spread. Hong Kong is sending us blood samples. We're also looking at samples from London. Two clusters, one at a hotel, the other at a health club. Five dead, encephalitis. We get this shot in China of Li Fai's sister. She's grieving and 
they're preparing her brother's remains to be taken back to Guangdong province to be spread. And she's riding this bus back to Guangdong. Oh. And this attendant who's cleaning the bus at the end of their journey discovers her dead in her seat. With the ashes of her brother in her hands who died of the same disease. I hate it. I hate the way this movie just punches you in the diaphragm with like a couple of seconds. Like, it's the worst. That's something I think we're going to talk about at the end. The fact that we as human beings are able to compartmentalize this kind of mass death. Two and a half million people have died. And our brains can't cope with the number. Exactly. We have no idea. We can't even comprehend. Oh, God. All right, move on. Cut to Chicago, Illinois. Oh, God. Population 9.2 million. We get a shot of John Neal, called Beth Emhoff at the beginning of the movie to say, wow, you're great at sex. He's the dirty homewrecker. Yeah, Beth was definitely cheating on Mitch with John Neal. John Neal's being hauled out of his home after suffering a seizure, and his wife is like, I don't understand. We both woke up sick this morning. Oh, I- God, so she has it too. Yeah, she's, she's, th- that's the thing. I think about the characters early on in this movie and how they're all dead. Oh, stop. Like, she definitely died. It's so horrible. At least we don't have to see that one. Ugh. Back in Minneapolis, we're doing an autopsy on Beth Emhoff. I could have done without this entirely. Oh, God. Like, I have such weird feelings about staring into Gwyneth Paltrow's empty eyes while her scalp is peeled back like a rubber glove and flopped over her face. Like, the sound of the saw and how loud it is. I'm like, people do this for a living. I know, I know. And then there's a reason it's not me. (laughs) There's a a reason I'm behind this microphone and not in front of an autopsy table. So yeah, they open her cranium to assess her brain. This is so wild. Let's look at the base. Oh my God. You want me to um, take a sample? I want you to move away from the table. Should I call someone? Call everyone. Do you want me to take a sample? No, I want you to move away from the table. (laughs) My mouth. Oh my God. My mouth always drops open at that. Like, oh shit, get the hazmat suits. We have a 2319. He's like, should I call someone? He's like, call everyone. Like, like Louis B. Mayer getting everybody down in the lot to hear Judy Garland for the first time. Like what in the name of all things holy? Day six. Back in Atlanta, we meet Dr. Aaron Mears, an epidemiologist who works at the CDC with Dr. Cheever. Kate Winslet is finally here. She's kind of like the Dr. Arantes, but in America. Yeah. You know what I mean? She has the same job. She's going to help them figure out how it spread and how to keep it from spreading by educating people. Dr. Cheever and her are coordinating on assessing the outbreak in Minneapolis. What's your single overriding communications objective? We're isolating the sick and quarantining those who we believe were exposed. Okay, good. As of this moment, you and I are attached at the cell phone. If you need resources, call me. If you get into a political dogfight, call me. If you find yourself wide awake, staring at the walls at 3 a.m. wondering why you took the job, call me. Cheevers tells Mears that they are now attached at the cell phone. I love that. If you have a dark thought in the middle of the night, call me. I am there for you. Ellis, thank you. I know. The job she's about to go do is not only extremely perilous, but it's going to be hard. Yeah. It's going to be fucking hard. She's going to need someone to talk to. She literally has to recreate a timeline of reality. Oh, God. In order to contain this. 
Mears travels to Minneapolis where she meets Dave. Dave works for the Minnesota State Department of Health. Hi, Dave. Dave does not have me on a good note to start with. They're standing in the airport in Minneapolis waiting to get out of there, waiting for their luggage. Mears is wearing this, you know, kind of thin coat because she's from Georgia. Yeah. And he's like, I hope you pack something a little bit warmer than that. Wouldn't want you to catch cold. Ha 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 ha, Dave. It's so easy to make jokes early on, isn't it? Yeah. That's why I didn't want to do this last year. Because it was going to age so poorly. So Mears informs Dave that she wants to get started as soon as possible. She's my favorite character. Yeah, I, I have a soft spot for Mears. She's my favorite character in the whole movie. This movie does her dirty. I'm mad about it. But we'll talk about it for 10,000 years when we get there. Okay? <laughs> it, 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 it affects me deeply. We see Jory Emhoff, who is uh, Mitch's daughter. And so she just lost a stepbrother and a stepmom. Yeah. She's coming back from, I actually don't know where she's coming back from, either her mom's or school or something. She arrives at the hospital and her f- Mitch is in quarantine at the hospital. They're trying to make sure he doesn't have it before they release him back out into the world. Exactly. Like, he's not able to even grieve... For his wife and stepchild. It's so awful. Like, he's just locked in that hospital. Oh, my God. And then she gets there, and she's talking to him, but she has to talk to him on the phone, through the glass. I should have been there. I could have helped. No, 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 honey, no, no. It's good that you weren't there, honey. I'm happy if something happened to you. I mean, I, I... Honey, you're here now, you know? I'm happy about that. I'm happy about that. Damon's gonna be fine, but it's just that image of them separated by the glass that really, really makes me hurt on the inside. Like, he was like, hold out hope for me. I would basically be dead already if I had it. All right, get ready for a stat dump. Aaron Mears is here to give us terrifying facts about how a disease spreads. (laughs) Who is she meeting with? We're at the Minnesota Department of Health. I don't know the exact rank of the officials she's meeting with. She's probably meeting with the Secretary of Health or something of Minnesota. And I don't know who this woman is. I'm done with her. As First Lady Abby Bartlett would say, they're a bunch of jackasses. (laughs) That's who they are for crying out loud. (laughs) She explains the concept of fomites. And what she means when she says fomites is surfaces. The average person touches their face two or three thousand times a day. Two or three thousand times a day? Three to five times every waking minute. In between, we're touching doorknobs, water fountains, elevator buttons, and each other. Those things become fomites. It all makes me so itchy! (laughs) Like, I hate it! People don't think about that. And people are dumb enough not to wash their hands after wiping their bums in public places! Oh my god! Like, wash your hands! You know know why your kid has pink eye every month? Because they don't wash their hands! They're not washing their poopy little hands! Oh my god! Anyway. (laughs) And so then she explains the concept of an R-naught. And that is the reproductive rate of the virus, a calculation of how many people you are likely to infect if you are infected. For, you know, flu, it's one to two. For polio, it was four. Yikes. Yeah. Our parents have polio vaccine scars on their arms. Yeah. Like most of your parents probably do, which is whack to think about how we can be so opposed to that in this day and age. But it was kind of universal back then because, I don't know, there was more trust in science. (laughs) 
back in Atlanta at the CDC, we have Dr. Ali Hextall and Dr. David Eisenberg. This is Jennifer Ella and Dimitri Martin. Why is Dimitri Martin here? Partners in viral crime. Oh, God. <laughs> viral criminal justice. And they've been ordered to test samples from the remains of Beth Emhoff in Minneapolis. We cut to them looking at a computer. Can you please just play what she says? Because I can't even, it's so much jargon that I don't even understand it. It's pleomorphic, but tends toward ovoid in shape. Right. I can see some structures on the surface that look like glycoproteins, but there's nothing morphologically pathognomonic. We tested all of her antibodies. I didn't see much cross-reactivity. Her body had no idea what to do with it. It just kept amplifying. Like when you turn the bass up too much for a speaker? Yeah, when you turn the bass up too loud for a speaker. That's the first thing I thought of! <laughs> it just kept amplifying. <laughs> All right, it's time to talk about Sussman. So Dr. Hextall instructs Eisenberg to send the findings that they have to Dr. Ian Sussman, who works at the University of San Francisco. Elliot Gould! Yeah, he's a research scientist and a professor, and we get... We get him leaving campus back in San Francisco and he's talking to he's talking to someone on the phone and he's giving his own observations of their testing and who comes lunging out of the corner but Alan Crumweedy <laughs> who's here to harass Dr. Sussman typical of a paramyx virus a potentially King a Kong mutant on and Frankenstein of, 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 all in one hold on shit I'll, I'll call you back and you've got it in there haven't you oh really look Where did get come away from, from here Military, Alan you're not a doctor and you're not a writer. Organism? Yes, I am a writer. Yes, I am. Blocking is not writing. It's graffiti <laughs> with punctuation. I like that. Graffiti without punctuation. Stop it. Like, I don't agree with either of them. Like, blogging is not just graffiti with punctuation. But, like, on the other hand, not every idiot with a blog can call themselves a journalist. Indeed. So, I, I just, neither of them are right. Back in Atlanta at the CDC, Dr. Cheever is encountering a Dennis French in the lobby of the CDC. Mathazar! He's from the United States Department of Homeland Security. Thanks, Bush. He's been instructed to meet with Cheever regarding the various outbreaks. They meet together with Rear Admiral Lyle Haggerty of the United States Health Commission Corps. Brian Cranston. I just, I love that he's here. Like, he doesn't get a lot of screen time either. He just accents his scenes so well. He's here to pull in the middle class. Like, French is interrogating Cheever about, you know, what the virus is and how it could possibly be used as a weapon. We've reached out to the WHO, see what they know. You were going to plan it. Can't think of a better time than Thanksgiving. Plan what? An attack. Is there any way someone could weaponize the bird flu? Is that what we're looking at? Someone doesn't have to weaponize the bird flu. The birds are doing that. I'm hearing a lot of that talk where people are too afraid to be afraid, and it makes me nuts. Yeah, yeah. Like, wouldn't we rather err on the side of caution? I get it. We are panicky, horrible animals. We're dangerous when we're scared, but, like, a little caution might go a long way. So back in Minneapolis, we're, we're back in the hospital. Mears is interviewing Mitch, who's still in quarantine, and she's trying to gather more details on Beth's movements. She's trying to figure out where she contracted this virus. Exactly. So, so that she can tell the who, and they can find out who done it. Well, isn't it about time he learns who done it? She says... This is so awful. She says, you know, she landed in Chicago around 11.30, the day she got back, but she didn't go back to Minneapolis until 6 p.m. Like, do you have any idea what she did during those, like, seven hours during her layover? 
Uh, before we were married, my, my wife had a relationship with a man in Chicago named John Neal. Is John Neal sick? Did we get this from him? We're investigating all the... All the no, no, I think I have a right to know. Look at where I am here. I just love how he... I know he knows. Uh, That's the thing. I feel like part of him knows, or else why would he suggest this? <laughs> I love how he goes, why, is uh, someone sick in Chicago? Oh, did we get this from him? He's like, is John Neal sick? Did we get this from him? I love how he's more mad about John Neal potentially giving them the virus than fucking his wife. Well, yeah, because they are dead. Exactly. Okay, so back in Atlanta, jump again. Is this another fact dump? <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Fact dump. Fact dump. Back in Atlanta at the CDC, Dr. Hextall's meeting with Dr. Cheever. And they're going they're going over like the actual construction of the virus and like the pathology of it in this cool little computer program. Like how it behaves. Like where they can model it and its movements. And I'm like, science is so cool, dude. <laughs> Like, there's a whole civilization living under my fingernail. God! I'm sorry, that's gross, but, like, yeah. Virus attaches to the cell like a key slipping into a lock. Somewhere in the world, the wrong pig met up with the wrong bat. You ever seen anything like this before? No. And it's still changing. It's figuring us out faster than we're figuring it out. It doesn't have anything else to do. Dude, that's the way this shit happens. We'll get more into it later, but like once it's in those cells, the way it's able to replicate so fast, you really don't have a chance if you're infected. The the thing is, guys, that studying viruses like this are a learning process. Like information can be true and then can change slightly based on what we learn. And that's why people get so paranoid. I know. I know. Like I get it, but it it is the nature of the beast. Misinformation campaigns are rampant. In our day-to-day lives. Listen to scientists. Not Facebook. I feel like health officials get a really bad rap. Because like, well, why don't you know what's going on? And they're like, this is literally new, bitch. This is brand new. Like, we don't know anything about it. So Cheever tells Hextall that like, okay, this is getting too hot. Tell Sussman to cook all his shit. We don't want anyone but the government experimenting with this shit. Meaning he's got to like, he's got to get rid of all the samples. He's got to cook the samples, meaning boil them. Yeah, like he's got to destroy them. And their little phone conversation. Cook your samples, uh, destroy everything. We can't risk it. We're making progress. You limit this to government run BSL-4s. It'll take forever. I can do this. Poor Dr. Sussman is like, listen, I'm on the edge of glory. (laughs) He sure is. Please let me continue to try and grow this. And she's like, nope, it's it's too rampant. It's too dangerous. I love how Cheever was like, we can't let someone walk out of a lab with it on the bottom of their shoe. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. You know what I mean? It needs to be contained. It does. Cut to Hong Kong. Oh, Dr. Orantes, the way she just blows in here. Yes. This montage of her working tirelessly with these people to trace the source of the virus. Not a hair out of place. Exactly. She is never sweaty, never shiny. Dr. Orantes has this shit down. She is amazing. She meets with Sun Fang. He's a Chinese government official. I don't know in what capacity, but he's representing Chinese authorities in this matter. They visit affected patients. Um, They go to Li Fai's apartment. They are trying to determine the index group for this virus. And basically, they determine that the index group is 
Lee Fai, the Ukrainian model who went to London, the Japanese Alderson executive who went to Tokyo, and Beth Emhoff. So they gotta figure out where all of these people hooked up. Like, where were they all on the same night? Exactly. In order for them all to have contracted this virus. Beth Emhoff used an ATM at a casino in Macau. Citibank released her records. We have her using the machine at 10.43, just off the casino floor. I want to see the casino security footage for two hours on either side of that. Is there a problem? They're from my village. They found a new cluster there. Dr. Arantis can tell that Sun Fang's cronies are really upset because I think they're from that area. You know what I mean? Yeah. In China, they're all from that area. They think that it's crazy that there's been absolutely no attention to it the way it's being attended to in Hong Kong. Exactly. And Sun Fang has the goods and the credibility to maybe get something done about it. Sun Fang's not being entirely straight with Dr. Arantes. Oh no, we'll get back to that. About what the next steps of this are going to be. Basically, Lenora's main objective now is to understand how the index group came to be. All right, remember the guy that was supposed to cook his samples? Dr. Sussman? Yes, Dr. Sussman. Um, He's sitting in a diner. And he's just witnessing all the different ways that transmission happens, like the people just drinking out of their glasses. Oh, I hate it! Feeding things to their children Uh, with their bare hands. No! And I think it kind of wigs him out. And so he's like, you know what? I'm going to do some illegal shit. Oh my god! So he goes back to the lab. And uh-oh, back to the lab again. His technician's like, hey, are you just going to destroy the samples? I can do it. And he's like, no, go home. I'm fine. <laughs> Don't look at me doing anything he's illegal. He's like, I just want to check some data. And he starts playing around with it like he shouldn't be, like the government told him he's not allowed to anymore. And I guess in one night, he grew it. <laughs> I just love that shot of him looking away into the distance and then he grew it. <laughs> He grew it in a BSL-3. Allie, what the hell is he doing working with it in a BSL-3? Ignoring me. <sighs> He's going to publish shit. What does he want? A, a box of cigars. He had a choice, Ellis. He could have gone into business for himself. There's no doubt he was approached, but he gave it to us. And we're supposed to trust him. We don't have a choice. So we can grow it now, though, but that means we can experiment with it, right? This is where we can start working to find out composition of a viable vaccine. And that's going to be the job of Dr. Hextel and Dr. Eisenberg, Jennifer Ella and Dimitri Martin at the CDC. Cumweirdo gets wind of this. Crumweedy. Crumweedy gets wind of this. And he's full of indignant rage because, again, he comes from that corner of the internet where the red pillars get their medical advice and he's not having any of it. He's immediately shouting conspiracy. It's day 12. It's reported that 8 million estimated people have been infected worldwide with the newly named MEV1 virus. So we're going to call it MEV1. All right. Crumweedy is suggesting to this hedge fund representative that he's meeting with that there's this drug called Forsythia that is the cure to the virus. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh, hydroxychloroquine. Exactly. Guys, I looked Forsythia up. It's it's made up, but like Forsythia is a type of plant. Oh. It's, it's a genus of plant. I'm not exactly sure what all its properties are, but Crumweedy is a conspiracy theorist. He's a blogger. He's not a medical professional. And neither was the president. And he's trying to tell this man with millions that... Forsythia is the cure to this virus. 
This is day 12. I know. Like, things can spin out of control so fast. This man's agenda is nothing but sinister. So, back in Minneapolis, Mitch discovers from Dr. Mears that he is immune to MEV1. Well, that's a really good piece of news. (laughs) Like, she allows him to break quarantine, and the shot of him, like, dragging Jory by the hand through the hospital waiting room. Yeah. And you can just hear everybody getting irate. They're bringing people in and they're just piling up dead. Mm-hmm. And nobody understands what the hell is going on. Healthcare workers, what you do is immense. It it really cannot be overstated enough. To live in that environment day in and day out, to have lived with it over the past year, you're honestly all heroes and I don't know how you do it. And you're going to deserve all the mental health treatment we can give you whenever we are able to get beyond this. I just, I can't even begin to imagine it. I know that our mother works in a facility that is all outpatient, but still, I I worry every single day. I I really do. I say a blessing for her every day that she will remain okay. Dr. Mears and Dave visit a sport stadium? I don't know what kind of space they're in. It looks like a football stadium. Like... It's not, though. It is. The floor isn't lawn. (laughs) The floor isn't lawn. I don't know. Guys, I don't know how sports arenas work. I know that the lawn's probably not there permanently. It's It's probably put out there. AstroTurf. I don't know. As in fake grass. Who knows? Okay, we'll put the airlock here. I want 25 rows, 10 beds apiece. The most febrile cases at this end. We'll set up triage outside. FEMA can handle food in the basement. And we'll need to be operational within the next 24 to 48 hours. I have it all capital letters. Why didn't we do this? They're trying to establish a mass treatment site for the virus so that hospitals don't get overwhelmed. We never did anything like this because of the Trump administration. We just allowed our hospitals to become congested and overfilled. All of those sports that we weren't supposed to be playing. Why didn't we make good use of that space? It didn't have to necessarily be a treatment center. And I feel like that's the spirit here. They're making use of that space. For the greater good. And obviously, someone in the sports community is allowing them to do this. Yeah. So back in Hong Kong, Dr. Arantes is reviewing footage from a casino where Beth Emhoff and her colleagues visited just before her death. We might have finally found out where this, this might be where they all caught it. This is, this is the casino in Macau. It's discovered that Beth is the index patient. Oh, Gwyneth Paltrow, no! She transmitted it. To her Japanese colleague at a card table. Oh, yes. She transmitted it to the Ukrainian model when she tracked her down to give her her phone because she left it at the bar. Yes. And then Levi got it when he picked up her dishes because he was a waiter at that casino. Like, this this is how it's all working. She's touching everything and she's giving it to everybody. She's patient zero. Day 14. In Minneapolis, Dr. Mears, um... Oh, shit. <coughs> Here we go. Okay. Oh, I hate this. I, I, look at me with both eyes. I hate you for this. I know. She, I love her. I know you do. And this is the beginning of the countdown. Because not only is it Kate, but she's just a really great professional and she had so much to contribute to getting them out of this. Anyway, get to the terrible awful. Dr. Mears wakes up in her hotel with Severe respiratory distress. Oh, and um, man. she just knows immediately. 
Yeah, we all do. Wait. I'm upset. What's going on? What, what kind of symptoms do you have? I can't swallow. Severe headache. <clears throat> What's your temperature? Mm. 101.8. Uh, listen, you can't, you just, you can't panic no, no, now. I know. Okay, are you alone? I've definitely infected other people. You don't know that. And she apologizes to him that she can't finish the project. Oh, she's so choked up. It kills me. Because she knows she's going to die. It's, oh my God. She's looking out her window after she hangs up and she sees the armed forces occupying Minneapolis. Here comes the National Guard. Back in Hong Kong, Dr. Arantes is intending to return to Geneva with the evidentiary footage of the index group in the casino. Yeah, the the proof of where the whole thing got started. And Sun Fang is being sus. Uh, yeah, he... mm. So basically, what Sun Fang does is he kidnaps her so that she can't go back to the ministry and tell them that this thing came from China. And he takes her to the village where he's from. They are going to hold her hostage in return for priority vaccination when it happens. This is what is left of my village. Are they sick? Not yet. And we're going to keep it that way. You stay here with us until they find a cure. How is that going to help? You're going to get us to the front of the line. I just want to say that kidnapping is wrong. I do, however, see why he thinks he has to do this. She's already determined that the virus started in China, which means that China's already going to get blistered itself just for that reason. And man, hasn't it been blistered in real life? Yeah, it sure has. The amount of racism and xenophobia that has popped up because of the pandemic. And he knows villages like his are going to be at the, quote, end of the line for this vaccine. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to hold her hostage to get them to the front of the line. Back in Minneapolis, Dr. Mears has become a patient in the mass treatment site that she established. I'm sick of it. I know. I'm so sick of it. She's suffering. Oh, my God. And she's just in that bed devoid of hope trying to breathe. I hate it for her. I hate it. Back in Atlanta, Admiral Haggerty is informing Dr. Cheever that they will not be able to return Dr. Mears. Why are we arguing about this? Go get her for the love of You're asking me to spend a lot of resources on one person, and right now, I can't do that. Dr. Mears would agree with me. She's one of our own, Lyle. We sent her up there. Okay, I sent her up there. I would like to go get her back. That's why we have a plane with an isolation pod to bring our people in the field home when they're sick, right? He says there's this sick congressman from Illinois, and they're using this special plane with this special vacuum in it to transport the extremely sick like that. They're going to use it to fly him to Chicago, and then the governor's going to shut everything down. So they're not going to be able to use the plane to get mirrors. I just want her to be out of there. He's he's telling Cheever all this shit, and Admiral Haggerty just gets in his face and goes, When the word goes out, there will be a run on the banks, gas stations, grocery stores, you name it. People will panic. The virus will be the least of our worries. It will tip over now. We just need to make sure that nobody knows. Until everybody knows. Thanks, government. (laughs) I have such bad news, Mr. Haggerty. We'll get there. In San Francisco, Cromweedy posts a video on his blog of him treating himself with forsythia. I'm sick of it. And the thing that makes me particularly incensed. Save it. Uh, Save it. 
You got to save it for later. Uh-huh. Like he's misleading all of his followers to believe that Forsythia is the cure to Mev 1. I know. I know. He's garbage. He's actual human garbage. Uh, didn't our president say that Goya beans were the cure? Yeah, or for, something. For COVID? I don't know. That sounds like something he says. I love how I've just written Cheever's misconduct because I don't want to talk about this for a long time. But well, like, well, I think I can sum it up pretty there. <laughs> go for it. You talk about it. Remember how no one was supposed to know until everyone knew? Mm. Oopsie. Of course everyone is finding out about this because Cheever tells his girlfriend, wife, whoever she is. What are you talking about? I want you to get in your car and leave Chicago. I want you to drive here to Atlanta. Drive by yourself. You do it. You do it now. Don't tell anyone and don't stop. And stay away from other people. You understand? Keep your distance from other people now. Call me when you're on the road, Aubrey. And here's the thing. Everyone has at least one person they think should have this information. And then that person is going to have at least one person <laughs> whom they want to be safe and have that information. What's the r not of misinformation? Oh, God! Uh, yeah, all right? Like one to ten, uh, I think? Probably. And so, of course, everyone finds out about this. Pandemonium is breaking out. I just I can't handle this much longer, man. It, it'll happen. Don't worry. It, it's so there's so much rough stuff still to get through. We're powering through. We're powering through. Okay. So day 18, we're in San Francisco and we're in a crowded pharmacy. And Lorraine Vasquez, the journalist from the beginning where Crumb Reedy was like, write about this video. And she was like, no, we don't have enough money. Yeah. She's in line waiting for a f- dose of Forsythia. Oh, God. The line is so long. And the pharmacy staff informed this crowd that you will only be able to give out 50 doses today. What? That's oh, our oh, causes a literal panic and it goes from zero to a million like that and that is how it happens in real life too like it just it they just lose their minds they destroy this pharmacy window in minneapolis the quarantine unrest is rampant like they're what are they running around looking for just the essentials like everything is being looted yeah, all like, the all the grocery stores are bare. Like I, they have to go into town to get stuff they need to survive, and buildings are on fire. He, ta- Mitch, takes Jory into a supermarket, and it's just there's nothing in there. Oh God! There's no one minding the registers. People are just grabbing shit and running out. That woman like stops him, begs him to help her. Yeah. <coughs> Jory, don't touch anything. Help me. And they run back out of the car and they pass the bank robbery taking place. Holy crap. And then there's somebody trying to get in their car. I hate it. Like, it's just that. yeah, that shit is scary. I wouldn't say it's gotten to that degree anywhere, but like a lot of whack shit comparable to it has happened. Yeah. Oh, God. Talk about them trying to cross into Wisconsin. Okay. They attempt to enter Wisconsin and the armed forces are like, hey, Mitch. Governor instated a lockdown. It's quarantine. You can't go nowhere, bud. Go back into Minnesota, please. He's like outside of the car. He's like in the street next to the car going, what the, where am I supposed to go? Order is sealed. The governor has declared a quarantine. No, we don't want to go back there. We want to go across. Sir, there is no answer. We're not sick. Get back in your car or I will be dating you. Where? moment for 
some reason is like, where am I supposed to go? He's so done, and I so get it. This is the part of this movie that makes me sob. I, I'm like, so angry. Uncontrollably. So, whew, we're back in Minneapolis, and we're at this mass treatment site that Dr. Mears is in. Her vision is impaired severely, and she just opens her eyes. She's on her side, and she sees this man. She's, like, shivering, and he's asking this nun, who's probably not a medical professional. She's probably a volunteer, because the nurses have either striked or gone or have died. Oh, and I know get another blanket. This one is very damp now. I'm truly sorry, sir. We're out of blankets. We're hoping for more to be donated. We put the word out. Can we turn that up? I'll find out. Mears, who can't even lift her limbs anymore, she's so weak, takes her coat off of her and tries to reach it across to him, but her arm's just too weak to hold her coat, and she just drops it. And I hate this cut. This is what triggers me every time. We just cut to her lifeless face wrapped up in a body bag in the dirt she's being put into this mass grave that they've dug somewhere in the outer county and I remember last year seeing the helicopter footage of the mass grave in the middle of Brooklyn I can't believe that that's real I can't believe that that's an image that's actualized that's why I say I really cannot understand how we're able to compart- compartmentalize shit like this. And it makes me blind with rage. Yeah, because it's so unnecessary and it's just happening in droves. There's so many people working in so many different capacities to combat this virus and they get exposed to it as a result and that we cannot we can't do anything to help them. What we can do is, like, stay home and wear masks. But some people can't even do that. And it just, it makes me so furious. God, can we move on, please? Yeah. In Atlanta, Dr. Cheever arrives uh, to the CDC headquarters, and there's a lot of angry people outside. Oh, I would imagine. Uh, We have seen a great many protests this past year. Good and bad, haven't we? Yeah, we sure have. Um, All different kinds, all different types. Dr. Cheever goes on television with a Dr. Gupta, and Gupta just kind of introduces, guess who? Alan Crumweedy. The garbage blogger. Why is he here? Um, Why is he here? Gupta wants to discuss Crumweedy's uh, egregious misinformation campaign against the CDC. But, like, why put him on TV in front of millions? Don't give people like this a platform. You know right from wrong. Oh, my God. Like, it's just, I... I get it. It's it's a good faith attempt at journalism. I get it. But I just, ugh, I hate him. He divulges that on Facebook, there was a post by a one Elizabeth Nygaard. Oh, Facebook. Who Dr. Cheever's fiance, Aubrey, called to tell about the thing she promised she said she wouldn't divulge. I know. The quarantine of Illinois. And then it spread like wildfire. In 30 steps, it's a billion sick. Three months. It's a math problem you can do on a napkin. And that's where we're headed. And that's why you won't even tell us the number of the dead, will you, Dr. Cheever? But you'll tell your friends when to get out of Chicago before anyone else has a chance. That is being twisted. 
LinkedIn to meet this guy's messed up message. Exactly. I just, I just hate him. Like, I want to punch him so bad. I want to mess up his teeth even more. I mean, hey, there are times in humanity where fear is just that much more stronger than hope. I, it's just so depressing. I know. I, 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 I know. He is kind of capitalizing on, we've seen this shit coming for decades. But he, he's, he's telling lies. Exactly. He's fear-mongering. Fear-mongerers and <laughs> fake newsers are always like, you know, they always dabble in a little bit of sense. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. To, to just draw you in and then it's just lies the rest of the time. So, Crumweed's exposure of Cheever's misconduct is met with contempt by um, uh, not only the entire CDC, but uh, Admiral Haggerty and uh, Dennis from Homeland Security. He's in trouble. <laughs> They're looking for a scapegoat. He just made it easy. The only reason we're not taking this to the Attorney General is because we can't replace you right now, but there's going to be an investigation. Do you understand that? We don't want to see him in front of the cameras anymore. We see this montage of footage that's just deserted public places, like throughout the world. Yeah. Empty airports, train stations, restaurants. Like, it's (gasps) too real. Can we talk about this pop art for a second? Uh, These posters have popped up all over the nation of Alan Crumweedy in that weird, you know, Andy Warhol style. style. Yeah. And it's a double image of him. One size says profit, like P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Uh-huh. And the other side says profit, like P-R-O-F-I-T. Yeah, like money. Like, uh... It's brilliant, actually. Are you our savior or are you our ruin? That's a great background detail. I love that. I I did like that creation. Um, Day 29, Dr. Hextel reports to Cheever that even if there were a viable vaccine right now, human trials would take weeks, followed by the government approval, which could take months, followed by months of production and distribution and millions of more deaths. I hate it. And, uh... I'm sick of it. Cheever... Cheever tells her that the de- that the Department of Homeland Security is inquiring whether they can vaccinate the water system and then vaccinate everyone all at once like they did with fluoride. That just, that sounds so... They're that, de- that's desperate is what that is. It, it sounds so ridiculous. it's stupidly ridiculous. <laughs> sounds dangerous. The government said, can't we just put it in the water? Like, oh my God, like, that's I get where, it. That's where their brains are right uh, now. Oh, I get it. That's, but... what that's where their brains are. Well, Homeland Security wants to know if we could put a vaccination in the water supply, like fluoride, cure everyone all at once. I'm going home now, Alice. It's getting late. Merry Christmas. I'm like, oh God, we've made it to Christmas. Oh man. That, that And that amount of time, all of this shit has happened. So Dr. Hextall. Oh, this woman! Um, she perfects vaccine number 57. And administers it to herself at great personal risk. It has not been tested on nobody. And like, I love it. She's just like feeling herself for that whole montage. She's like, I'm doing this. I mean. And then like that shot of her driving in her car. And she's just got this little grin. And she's like, I'm not sick yet. <laughs> and she visits her own father in the hospital. He is also like a longtime doctor, medical professional, scientist, somebody. He's got the virus. And he is, she tells him that she's testing her own vaccine. I'm testing my vaccine. 
is different. I don't want to get you sick. Ellie, you can't take that chance. Oh, Dad. You're here because you stayed in your practice treating sick people after everyone else went home. You took that chance. You took that chance every day. And I wrote in my notes, I'm like, we've officially left the realm of things I'm able to relate to or comment on. (laughs) I can't even begin to connect with what she has had to deal with, all the work she's put into this. Yeah. And now she's put something into her body that could very easily kill her in the name of saving mankind. And I just like... I I have no notes here. I I have no way to relate to this whatsoever. And, you know, the whack part is Dr. Sussman had to break the law to grow it, and she had to break the law to make the vaccine. They had to break the law. Do crime. Get things done. Both times. Carrie, it's starting to seem like that's the way things get done. I know. (laughs) I know, I know. Like, is that too radical? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I hate myself. Anyway, it's reported that the MEV1 vaccine is in production and will be ready for distribution in 90 days. Um, But it's going to take a year to manufacture the necessary amount of vaccine that it will take to uh, get the planet off of this mess. 26 million people are dead worldwide at this point. 26 million people in the movie before the vaccine. The question remains, who will become priority for vaccination? We have have a big time jump. I remember yelling. I went, oh, wow, that's a lot of time. The armed forces have arrived to Chicago. They're transporting the vaccine. The army uh, yeah, has I, to transport the vaccine. I get it. Can you imagine I, the level of pandemonium we've already witnessed? I just, I, I can't. All these scared, panicking animals afraid they're going to get sick. And you know, the one thing I'd like to comment on way back when they're talking about Dr. Sussman growing it. When Dr. Cheever was like, what the hell? He grew it and she was like, yes. And he gave it to us. He could have gone into business for himself. He could have. And he didn't. And I'm like, Dr. Sussman, you're a human being. I know. Thank you. Instead of choosing to make money, he gave it to the government. And like, I just, it, <sighs> Pfizer. I know. Moderna. Johnson and Johnson. Like You're not off my shit list yet, y'all. Guys, like, I understand what they're doing is vital. The utmost vitality right now. But at the same time, they are profiting and profiting. And I just it makes me so sick. Like, I know. I hate that this is the way we are. Anyway. Oh, God, can we please talk about Alan Crumweedy getting arrested, please? Okay, so he's talking to that hedge fund guy again from he, earlier. Yeah, the guy that he was, what, he, what was he trying to convince him? Well, he was like, he was like, this hedge fund guy might give him money to be like a mouth. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? All right. And or, he, or to advocate for Forsythia as a cure so that he would get popular. All right, so we're with that guy. And Crumweedy's alleging that, you know, Dr. Hextall is going to be Jesus in a lab coat. For the rest of her life. Oh, God. And that, you know, she's going to be anointed by the Academy of Sciences. And he's like, it might cause, you know, palsy or cancer 10 years from now. We have no idea. We literally have no way of knowing. He just alleges that they're all going to be guinea pigs for this vaccine that he feels was rushed by the government. And I don't know how he caught this so quickly. There's this trash guy. He's a paranoid weirdo. That's how he caught this. He sees this guy looking at him who's trying to empty the trash because they're in this park. He's very aware of his surroundings. And he's like, is he with you? 
And Hedgehog guy's like, what? No. He's like, are you wearing a wire? And he pulls the wire out of his shirt and he starts fucking running. And the hedge fund guy's like, Alan, I can't help it. They've seen your blog. <laughs> All these undercover cops come out of nowhere. He's, he's literally just like, what did you expect? You're a mouth. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, for what? Tell me for what? Security fraud, conspiracy, and most likely manslaughter. It cured me for Scythia cured me. We'll see, Alan. This is entrapment. You can't take my blood. You can't. That's my property. And so that's it. That's the story of how my least favorite character gets arrested. Arrest that fear monger. Yes. Oh, God. What day are we on now? Day 133. <laughs> oh, my God. In Atlanta, at CDC headquarters, Admiral Haggerty is holding a draft lottery to be held to determine who will be priority for this vaccine. They're just drawing birth dates out of a, like, a bingo ball jumper. They've just kind of thrown, I guess, the medical evidence for who should be priority out with the bathwater? I don't know really what happened here. I don't know if other people got it first. Well, here's the thing. I think the scope of this pandemic, this fictional pandemic, is that it's so massive and bad that they're probably just like, fuck it. Like more people We're not going to deprive anybody necessarily if we don't need to. Let's just draw birthdays. But that sounds like really ridiculous in comparison to the science and medicine behind who should be priority for this kind of vaccination. And Ross, what is the first birth date they draw? First MEV1 vaccination are those people born on March 10th. March 10th. This blew my mind because I didn't notice it until I watched it this time around. The people who get vaccinated first are born on March 10th. That is beyond messed up. That was last week. Yeah, which is literally the night before the pandemic was like they knew on the 10th and they announced it on the 11th. Thanks. I hate it. They knew that it was officially a pandemic uh, and um oh my god poor jory okay so in minneapolis there was this whole b plot where jory's all mad and sad because her dad will not let her leave the house for good reason rightfully so she which also means she can't be in contact with her boyfriend yeah and her boyfriend's like you want to sneak out and kiss yeah, all the, time. all the time. And she's like, we'll go sometimes. He literally found them in the woods together earlier and like threatened his life. I, I get it. Like, I, I just. They can't do this. And um, uh, Jory's birthday, which is uh, January 11th, I believe. Yeah. Uh, gets drawn on draw 144. Oh, no. She has to wait. 144 days to get vaccinated. And what? Doesn't that boyfriend have to wait like what? Six weeks? I think he, when they're texting, he says, I'm three. What are you? Oh, no. And she's like, 144? Fuck. Oh, my God. Like, that's whack. She's distraught because she has to wait six more months before life even begins to return to normal. Like, she she doesn't get to go to prom. That's like the least of what should be her worries. Like, you're not getting to go to school either. But you know what? She's a kid. Yeah. And her world is, for the lack of a better term, so small. And that is like one of the only things you're supposed to get is that one experience if you attend public high school. So like, I get it. I I don't fault her for being disappointed. We've all had things canceled and been disappointed about them in the last year. Kay and I were supposed to go see Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's been pushed twice. Oh my God. I want to 
see Neil deGrasse Tyson. Every time I watch this movie, I forget about this until it comes back up again. Oh my god! We forgot about Dr. Arantes. Dr. Arantes, who has been held prisoner for like, what, four months? Or like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's just been living with this village full of people waiting on a vaccine to get developed. She's supervising this class of village children. I'm like, what kind of Stockholm Syndrome is this? (laughs) We're teaching the children. I love you, Rose. She's been here for fucking months. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Sun Fang has just been keeping her here. Sun Fang informs her that the uh, vaccine drop has been arranged and her safe return is imminent. So, remember Damien Leopold from the World Health Organization? He's a French guy? The French guy, yeah. Yeah. Um, He travels to Hong Kong to negotiate her return in exchange for 100 doses of accelerated vaccine. He pushing them to the front of the line, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm fine. Please give them what they ask. I just want to go home. Once we have the vaccine, we'll tell you where to find her. The exchange takes place. Dr. Arantes is unharmed. Oh, my God. And right before they give her back, Sun Fang uh, opens the vac- one of the vaccines and vaccinates her. Yeah, he's given it to her to make sure it's not going to kill her. And I mean, like, at least I've never thought about it that way. What? You said that he's given it to her to make sure it doesn't kill her. Uh, yeah, because he's got to take it back to a village full of people. I always read it as Sun Fang is doing it for her. Oh, no, hell no. He's So that she doesn't have to. No, sir. He's protecting his own. Like, that is what's going on. He's got to take this vaccine back to a whole village of people. So I fucking get it. And then, like, that van is starting to take off. You think they're not going to drop her on the sidewalk? Yeah. But that van, like, leaves the frame and she's there next to the guardrail. And I'm like, oh, thank good grief. Arantes and Leopold are sitting in the airport waiting for their return flight to Switzerland. Oh my god, this Arantes part... looks rough. I know. She, Lenara looks really rough. She has bonded with these people. I'm sorry. Because what happens, bud? They're sitting there and Leopold reaches into his bag, pulls out a vaccine and gives it to her. What's that? Your vaccine. The one you took was a placebo. What? The Chinese insisted... There have been many abductions, not just here, in Russia or Mexico, all over. Government officials, scientists, or Westerners with great wealth. Mostly perpetrated by organized crime or revolutionary groups trying to extort medicines. The Chinese don't negotiate with kidnappers. It wasn't up to us. And she cannot get up fast enough. Like, she's just this horrified. She's not, she's like, this is not cool. And she, I just, I love the, the shot of her running away. It's my favorite shot in the whole film. Oh my God. Where, when that, in that. Alarm noise is getting louder and louder. She's gonna go warn them. Yeah. God, I just, I love her. She's also a top three character for me. Back in California. Oh, God. Crumweedy's meeting with Homeland Security guy Dennis French. <laughs> it's revealed that Crumweedy lied about having the virus. <gasps> In order to falsely claim that Forsythia was the cure in an effort to profit, he made four and a half million dollars. Off of his fear-mongering and lies? Yes. I, I, am <laughs> gonna pop a blood vessel. You are going to go away, Mr. Crumweedy, and so is all your money. Hell, I can't even imagine all the civil suits people are gonna file against you, and I have a pretty good imagination. And now you want to tell people not to get vaccinated, when that's the best chance they've got. If I could throw your computer in jail, I would. 
And then they just come in and they're like, apparently there are 12 million other people in this country as crazy as you. Congratulations. You made bail. I felt that very sharply. Oh, you mean because like the rich idiots of the world are always the ones that go free? He got bailed out by Joe Nobody on the red pill portion of the internet. Like this movie is just going to let him get away with this. I yeah. feel like. No, guys, we never revisit this. He gets he gets away with it. Like he gets out on bail and that's the last we see of him. I'm like, really? Really? Day 135. Mass vaccination is taking place worldwide. Oh my god. I love the shot of them putting the virus. Because like, now that they've gotten the vaccine together, they have to store the virus, right? Because they'll need it. They'll need it. They may need it later. They may need it again. And they're putting this virus in the same tank with all these other super infectious diseases. It's literally SARS, H1N1, and then they put Mev one. Oh, that makes my ass leak. In it. They're all in the same tank. I don't like it. I don't know why. Caked here at the end of this movie, there's this really long, sad sequence with Mitch finding Beth's camera from her trip to China. Yeah. And like all the pictures she took and like all that emotion that comes through where he's just sitting there crying. Number one, she died very suddenly. She did. Number two, He discovered she was being unfaithful to him before she died. He had no time to process that or make any peace with that. He has a child figure in his life die. Yeah. And now his daughter is in despair because she can't live. She's so young. Listen, I feel for people who are actual children in this time. Like, there's no... You have no other understanding of the world. They're losing so much. And it makes me so sad for them. I'm not going to take that away from them. That's why I like this part of the movie. Because why does he need to find the camera? Because he's put together... This little at-home prom for her. And he, obviously, she's not sick. She's been indoors. Yeah, and the boyfriend's been vaccinated. And he shows, his her boyfriend shows up to the front door, and he's all nice and tucked up, and he's got his brace, his vaccination bracelet on, and he shows it to her. They're so happy. And then they start dancing, and it's cute, and Mitch bought her a really cute dress, and brave the public to buy his daughter a fake prom dress. I love he it. He loves her. I know. And he, I just, I, it's it, been so tough for them, this whole movie. I cannot get over Mitch's Jackie O composure. <laughs> I really cannot. He, he's been so strong this whole time. I guess it's a blessing he's immune. I know. I, can you imagine if he was not immune and feeling all that other stuff? Uh-uh, I can't. It's just so lovely to see them have this one moment of happiness. Yeah, like, and like, we see we see Mitch crack a smile as he's watching him dance, and I'm like, wow, thank you. Real moment. <laughs> you know no, I mean? it was a nice little emotional catharsis because, folks, just buckle up for one hot second. We are going to break down the literal final moments of this film. Okay, so here we go. Remember how we didn't get day one at the beginning? We see this forest. We see this tree. We see a bat hanging upside down like bats do. And it's eating this banana. And it flies away with this chunk of banana in its mouth because a bulldozer is knocking down the tree it's in. The bulldozer says A-I-M-M 
Alderson on it. Oh, the company Beth Emhoff worked for. It's the groundbreaking po- project outside of Macau. The whole friggin' reason she was there in the first place. And this bat flies away, and it finds its way into a pork processing plant. <laughs> Where all the piggies live before they are food. It drops this chunk of banana, and it gets eaten by this pig. Oh, so there's the cross-contamination there. The wrong pig met up with the wrong bat. And, um... Oh, man. Basically, this little piggy gets sick, gets slaughtered, sent out for consumption and purchase, and we see this kitchen where this chef is stuffing this dead pig. They're gonna cook it up. They're preparing it. And the chef is putting its fingers in his mouth. It's like swirling it around. Without gloves on! And then some waiter comes up behind him and asks him to come out front, and it's to come out front to take a picture with Beth Emhoff. Oh my god! And by touching her, grabbing her hands to take the picture, he gives meth one to the world. He did not wash his hands! Wash your friggin' hands! And you know what? The thing the thing that really stuns me is they're taking the picture and then it shows up on screen day one. Oh my god! And the uh, thing I always think about in the last second of this movie is everyone on screen is dead. Oh, Ross! What the fuck? They all had to have died. And that's it. Steve, you fuck me up. I hate it. Soderbergh, you fuck me up. Like, this movie used to be okay. This movie used to be okay. Because it wasn't real? It wasn't real. And now I watch it and it's painful. I hated this. I'm sorry. It is a good movie. I'm glad that we're processing it a little bit. But it's just, it's so real. I can't, I can't believe this has happened. I can't believe a film has actually been actualized. It's been realized. Like, People all the time are like, oh, one day the world's going to be like 1984. You know, one day the world's going to be like Hunger Games. The world is like contagion. Like literally this, almost the same fucking chain of events happens. Because, yeah, that's the thing. This movie spends so much time talking about transmission and things like that, that we barely gloss over like what really causes these things. The whole business of the deforestation with land development, we're driving animals that carry diseases like this out of their natural habitat into the cities, mingling with other populations. That's how we get strange germs that we don't know how to battle. And like, that's, we need to stop doing these kinds of things. We need to slow it down. Maybe take care of the planet? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know. I know that's such a concept and that I probably sound like a libtard or whatever, but we've only got one earth and we're ruining it. We're shitting in our house that doesn't have a toilet in it. <laughs> that's the basically what's happening. We're living without plumbing. We're feeling the effects of climate change palpably. Palpably. Texas freeze? There's never been more snow on more of the United States in history than during the freeze. I know. That was not even a month ago. It's just beyond, it's we gotta listen to science. That's a thing, folks. Characters like Alan Crumweedy are important because they're out there. They're everywhere. To be honest, I think Dr. Cheever says something like it earlier on in the film. What we do know is that in order to become sick, you have to first come in contact with a sick person or something that they touched. In order to get scared, all you have to do is come in contact with a rumor or the television or the Internet. I think what Mr. Crumwoody is 
is spreading is far more dangerous than the disease. The misinformation and the fear is more detrimental than the virus at this point. I know. It's it's so fucking... I'm so upset. I'm upset. And the, Life the, imitates art! And the really, really palpable thing is we're never coming back from it. I know. We're going to have to adapt to live in the world we've created now. And it's going to be so hard and so long. And uh, I'm ready to do it at this point. But there are far more daunting challenges ahead. And this movie is definitely a reminder. This movie's popularity spiked last year. Oh, yeah. So did every other pandemic-related film. But we really need to think about what we know and what we think we know. And this movie does a superb job of constructing what a real-life scenario could mean for this planet. And is it... I'm not... It's not a work of genius. It's not the best film out there. Like, there are definite flaws with it. But it's just the... I really am kind of banking here on the fact that it's just literally happened. Granted, there are many key differences between this fictional pandemic and the pandemic that we are living. But we've been able to predict the pattern for years and years and years. We've lived through mass extinction events like this time and time again throughout history. And it doesn't matter what history we know, we still repeat it. Or what history we think we know. It's mad frustrating. And I mean, guys, think about all the things that, you know, if you're a millennial or a boomer, all the things you've had to deal with in your lifetime. Smallpox. H1N1. AIDS. SARS. It's not new. We've dealt with it in every decade. And we've not dealt with it well in a lot of them. Oh, no, yeah, like, like, just because we dunk on Trump all the time doesn't mean we believe that every Democrat is perfect. The flu? A hundred years ago? The flu. We are able to now survive it. That's just wild to me. What are our bodies going to be able to do in a hundred years? Will we be here in a hundred years? Oh, who knows? Like, that's the thing, guys. It's the fear of the unknown. We get it. It's rough. It's terrible. But just listen to scientists. Listen to scientists and be strong. Be as strong as you can be. Go at your pace. Do the best you can each and every day to make it. I think it's really hard to believe that there is a future. I think about that all the time. And I think that if you're not planning for a future, you don't believe there is one. So we need to start wanting to plan for a future. Seriously. We can't control everything as individuals, but there are times where you can use your voice, and it's important to do that. So... Sorry, guys. Somber note this week. Oh, my God. It's been a whole ass year dealing with this shit. I know everybody's ready to move on from this, but there's a lot more work to do. So stay focused on what's important. We're going to be back with you every week with more great content. We still got a couple more things to do in March, don't we, Carrie Ann? Oh, yeah. You are just... <laughs> are in your feels over there. So remember how we did like three movies in a row that I'd never really seen before or at least intellectualized before? Yeah. Um, It's my turn. I decided I'm going to put Carrie through some things. So um, <clears throat> next week on uh, Kicking and Streaming, we are going to be covering the 1998... Hist- I can't call it historical. Hysterical. <laughs> hysterical. The 1998 hysterical drama starring Kate Blanchett, Elizabeth. About the Virgin Queen, Good Queen Bess, 
Gloriana. You are going to be insufferable next week. I love Elizabeth I. You love a good period drama. You know I love the fashion. I love powerful women. I know you do. I love powerful women. We're going to be talking about one of the most powerful women of all time. Oh my god. All right. I'm so excited. I know. I know. So look out for that, guys. Thank you for sticking around this week if you're still here. I'm so sorry. I know. Guys, I just looked at the time that we've been talking. Oh, I hate you. Carrie, I love you. Uh-huh. And you're a wizard with this shit. I know. Because you barely know how to do it, and you do it mostly well. Thank you. You're so welcome. Mostly well. Like, I mean, yeah, we sound shaky sometimes, guys. We're working on it. Yeah. We're, go- we're trying to improve our audio quality. We're trying to work on some things. We're- we'll get there. Look out for that next week. Guys, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, practice the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. We want everyone to be able to join this little watch party. I don't know if I would necessarily recommend this episode to anybody. No, yeah, skip this week if you want. Like, if you <laughs> if you think it would be meaningful to somebody, sure, share it with them. But, like, um, we understand it's pretty rough. <laughs> And it's just us talking about awful shit for about an hour and a half. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry mom. mom.